Welcome to Generous Impact. This is Brett Brummett. And this is Amanda Brummett. We are joined today by Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese of the Marcella Project. In this episode, you'll hear how the Marcella Project ennobles women and reshapes the view of women in the church. And Jackie's work ripples far beyond the church, creating a dialogue about what it means to be a woman. All right. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for being here with Brett and I today. We know you're super busy and really appreciate your time. I always love hanging out with you guys. Are you kidding? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Let's do it. (laughs) Which I do want to start before we dive into questions. I have to tell our guests the random way that we became friends. So in the early 2000s, I went to a church in DFW. When Brett and I married, he was coming off of being a pastor of a church. And so I lured him into going to church with me. And Jackie and her husband, Steve, were actually both pastors at our church. And Mm -hmm. so we knew of you guys, but we certainly didn't know you guys. Um, and from the distinction, because sometimes <laughs> yes. people think they see me from the pulpit, they know me, they do not. Exactly. Right? And so fast forward <laughs> almost 20 years, when Brett and I moved to Austin, our good mutual friend, Amy Goddard, who's a great question asker, asked us a million questions about where we were going and where we were going to live. And somehow she figured out that we were going to be in the same building. And mm-hmm. Then she reconnected us. And of course, I was like, well, yeah, we're fans of the Reese's. They don't know us. (laughs) We had great food and great conversation. Yes, always do. So it's been super fun uh, becoming your friend. Um, And I'd love for you to tell our guests a little bit about who you are personally, but also professionally about Dr. Reese. Okay. Personally, that's always an interesting question because you're like, I don't know. Who am I as a person? I'm a woman living in a culture and a a faith community that doesn't always allow women to function in their gifting. And so being a woman has been sometimes problematic. I should say being embodied in a female body, I have found to be problematic. That's been a part of my story. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I think the person that I, if I had to say, who am I? I think I'm a person who really loves people. Like people love art and architecture and all kinds of beauty. But I think for me, the most beautiful thing is people. I find people the most fascinating things on earth. Um, And so I think I'm just a people person. I'm not a people pleaser, but I am a people person. That's probably who I am. I love hanging out with people and hearing their stories. And I think that's made me actually. I also grew up on a farm. And so I'm a farm girl. And so I think I'm probably really ordinary. And I kind of like that. Um, Learned how to live off the land, you know, those kinds of things. And it's very formative. Professionally, yeah, I'm a reverend and I'm a doctor. And um, those titles are really important in my particular strain of Christianity. And I used to hide those titles because I didn't want there to be a gap between me and other women. I wanted to just be on the same you know, playing field and be able to have um, normal conversations. And then I realized, oh, it's really important that we be using our professional titles, um, because uh, we have to do things in my strain of Christianity in ways that men kind of get a pass. You know, there's a book called Men Can Be Mediocre and um, and not so much in my professional life. So yeah, Reverend, I've been ordained in the Bible church strain of Christianity, and um, I got my doctorate in preaching from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and I have two other seminary degrees also because I like to learn. So. <laughs> I'm overeducated. 
Yeah, I think you're the only person I know that's been to seminary three times. Three times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you completed all three of them. I know tons of people that start, but tons of people that never finish. You actually complete them all. I do complete them all. Yeah. I'm a learner. That is something I would say is my personality is I love to learn, uh, but I only like to learn about specific things, people and Jesus and, and, and constructs and anthropology and those kinds of things that relay around women and faith. Um, but I like, I can't figure out how to turn on a TV. So I'm not a learner in technology or <laughs> a lot of other things, but I am a, an avid learner in my passion for women and Jesus. Awesome. And Jackie, I didn't know till I looked you up for this show that you were a poli-sci criminology major. How in the world did you go from that to being a pastor? Yeah, great question. But first, I should say I was the third of five kids in my family. And when I told my parents I wanted to go to college, my dad said, no, hell no. Um, my dad had not gone to college and he was very successful and he convinced my two older siblings to not go to college. And so I had to lie to my dad and tell him that I would go for horticulture because my dad was a horticulturist and and pay for my own way. And But I really wanted to go for law. I wanted to do pre-law. And so I had to pick a school that had a huge horticultural program, but a small like pre-law, poli-sci, criminology department. So there's how I ended up in college, you know. Um, and it turns out that actually it's not, at first glance, that seems like it doesn't connect to, to pastor or theologian. But many of our church fathers were theologians and lawyers. Uh, we have Tertullian, John Calvin, Charles Finley, just to name a few. And then we have like Moses in the scriptures, right? Like he presented the law to the Israelites and if you really think about the discipline of law, they have to understand the language very well and how to interpret it. And, and in similar ways, theologians need to understand the language, how to interpret it. And so there's actually a cross skill set between the two disciplines. I know, surprising. I don't know how horticulture fits into that, but. <laughs> well, well, most people are like trying to tell their parents they're going to law school when they're doing something <laughs> not law school. You're the opposite. Yeah. And that's actually a much better explanation than anything I ever gave anyone is I, I chose psychology because it had the least amount of hours so I could go to seminary afterwards. It wasn't well thought out at all. Yeah, I think mine was so costly. It had to be right. I had to pay for my, my first year of school, my second year of school. And then my mom snuck the money from my dad to pay the second or the third and fourth year. So it was costly for me to go to school. I couldn't I couldn't waste that away. Yeah. Well, and speaking of not wasted, I don't think you've wasted any of your journey, but I'm curious, where were you? What was happening prior to 2012 when you launched the, or had the need to launch the Marcella project? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Also, also a little bit of a painful one. Um, so I was on staff at a mega church. I was the teaching pastor to women. My husband was also on staff. He was my boss's boss. Um, so he was the executive pastor of the church. And we had been there for 14 years. So I was a pastor's wife and a pastor at the same time. And um, during that time, I also, even though I was on staff full time, I was also traveling all over the country doing uh, conferences for women, developing a preaching class for women. Um, doing very much a lot of what Marcella does now. I was doing that on my spare time. So it was kind of like a second job. 
Um, and I was also starting to bring some things into the church, like inviting female theologians into a women's Bible study and asking really hard questions like, is it okay if women masturbate? What what does sexuality mean? And I was trying to show women in the church and young girls that women can be thinkers theologically. I wanted them to see female theologians, and I wanted them to um, see that different theologians disagreed um, on these texts, you know, like things like the role of women, et cetera, but to try to help our audience see how to think more critically of their faith. So I started doing that even in the church. And all I did in 2012, a traumatic event happened in my family. My husband was um, fired and uh, without notice, and we had no idea it was coming. And I'm still on staff. My son is still on staff. And it just shocked our whole world because this was our family. And within 24 hours, we lost 98% of our community. Um, and it was, you know, we had people calling my husband from around the city and state saying, have you had an affair? Have you stolen money? Because nobody was saying what happened and we didn't even know. And it was traumatic. It was very traumatic. Um, and so, you know, a year after staying on at the at church, I realized, oh, we're not going to be able to navigate this. The church does not know how to do this. Um, I thought we could. I thought we could reconcile, do the hard work of conflict, but I learned um, something that now I know is actually very common in top, top leadership is that that doesn't get done, which is fascinating. We should have a whole conversation about that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was obvious I needed to go. Um, but uh, and so I decided, okay, I've never wanted to run my own ministry. I, I, I'm a sucky leader. I can't, I don't like budgets, you know, like, but I just thought I love what I do. And so I thought, okay, Jackie, you're already doing it inside the church and outside of the church. Just put it together and start doing it and see what God does. And so that's really the launch of it. What I hadn't anticipated was um, by leaving the local church and starting a parachurch ministry, if you will. I had been given some freedom that I didn't even know I didn't have in my church. Freedom to like do some serious research on female sexuality, um, the role of women in the church. What does scripture say about submission? What kind of teaching? And, and I didn't have to be careful of what I was reading or what I was saying by um, because I would be offending some elders board or some senior pastor. So it was the greatest gift to be bumped out of the church, to be honest with you, because I got to actually say things and I didn't so, have to worry about being fired. So I got to jump back in there because, you know, that seemed crazy to me from my male perspective. Like we could research anything we wanted. We could have a what if about anything. And so was it people really would watch what you were reading? Oh, Yes. Yes, people watch what we read. I have women around the country send me books that are a little bit edgy theologically, and they'll say to me, Jackie, I can't read this in my church or discuss it with anybody to think it through really well. Would you be willing to read the book and have a conversation? People send me that kinds of books. And if you think about it, and I don't know, your audience may not even remember this whole thing, and it may not even be in their repertoire, but when Rob Bell wrote a book about heaven and hell, right, what happened is he got kicked out of the evangelical community for his theological stance, but also pastors, male pastors, actually, that I know were scared to read his book because if their people in authority saw that they were reading it, they'd get fired. 
So we have, we have gatekeepers. You know, this book reading thing um, that we're seeing mm-hmm. go on in schools right now, it goes on in the church. <laughs> wonder how that starts. Um, so that's just amazing that that travels down to just like expanding your mind, not even what you're teaching, that you would get correction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're afraid. We're, you know, we're, we're very fear-driven Christians, particularly in the conservative evangelical strain of Christianity. We're driven by fear. And so, you know, it's this, we can't trust that we can be good thinkers, that we can be critical thinkers. You know, if you're exposed to something, you're, you're close to going down that slippery slope. And, and if you think about that, what we're really saying is God's sacred truth can only be seen in that particular strain through those particular authors and theologians. Are we saying that the rest of God's truth and wisdom around the globe isn't? We can't see it. It's not there. We can't learn from that. Jackie, that is such a good segue into what the heck the Marcella Project is, because I feel like that's what the Marcella Project is. It's this place where there's permission to think and to talk and to discuss. So let's talk about what all you offer. You've got structured courses, consulting, speaking, books, Bible studies that I have been the recipient of, and they're amazing. Um, And then, of course, your podcast, Jackie Always Unplugged, which happens to be my very favorite podcast, which I'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> so tell us about the Marcella Project and specifically how it ennobles women. And go ahead and define ennobles for anybody that isn't familiar with it. Yeah, that drove my board crazy when I chose the word <laughs> ennoble in my mission statement. Ennoble means to lift up to dignity, to nobility. And I would add, as Jesus intended. Mm-hmm. So I use the word empower, but that word is overused. Um, And I just love the idea of ennobling because that to me feels like what Jesus does for us, right? He lifts us up to nobility, to dignity. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, when, let me say this, there are so many organizations working to help ennoble and empower women. Um, And two of my favorites in Dallas are New Friends, New Life, which helps women come out of sex trafficking and the sex industry. And then the Vickery Trading Company, which is run by a friend of mine named Stephanie, who equips refugee women to learn how to do specific skills so that they can resettle in America. It's just an amazing work she's doing. I live in Austin now, so like there's two of my favorites here are Posada, which is a, an organization that helps homeless women and children, immigrant women and children um, settle in. My daughter worked for them for several years, and they're doing great work. And then also SAFE in Austin is an organization that helps women with um, who have been raped, and men too, but the majority are women, and also provides help for those who are suffering underneath domestic violence. And all of those things are so, so much a part of helping women become ennobled, right? To to lifting them up as Jesus intended. Where Marcella is a little different and deviates, if you will, from all of those, if you will, hands-on, very practical ways is we're actually going after belief systems that actually allow those behaviors to happen to women. So I like um, how the historian at Baylor, her name is Beth Allison Barr, she says, to change the lives of women, we first have to change the ideas about women. And so that's really what I feel like our ministry is about, is about going after the belief systems that have put women, and quite frankly, men, because whenever we talk about women, we also have to talk about men. It's the yin and the yang. 
but have put us into bondage in ways that I don't think Jesus ever intended. And so we're committed to reshaping the view of women. And we do that through scripture-based teaching, training, and dialogue. And there are um, teachings in the church that have had a long history of of putting women into bondage uh, around things like submission, roles of men and women, the characteristics of a biblical womanhood, you know, like she's supposed to be gentle and soft and receptive, um, and that includes sexually. Um, We have sexual narratives about women that are extremely damaging, right? She's a tempstress, and that has to do with all of how we're supposed to wear our clothes and not wear things and what we're supposed to say and not say. And 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 then the flip side of the conversation is that women are non-sexual, and so women can't figure out what are we. <laughs> are we sexual or not sexual? What are we, you know? like. And and then we have the the flip side to that is that men can't help themselves sexually, right? They're just pigs and animals, and that's not biblical at all. And I believe these teachings that we've had handed down to us have done great damage to men and women. And um, it is not what I think Jesus is teaching us in the scriptures. So we revisit the scriptures and we put on different glasses, if you will. And we say, okay, this may have been how it's been interpreted by men through men forever. But what if we put on a new lens and looked at it from this way and see if we can see if that's really true? Is that really what Jesus was trying to tell us? So that's what we do. That is one thing I love about the conversations and the studies that I've been through with you is you you ended it with a question. You you never tell us what to think. In fact, there have been times that I'm like, Jackie, just tell us the answer. And you don't. You you lead all your listeners to think and to come to conclusions on their own. Well, and that's really important. You know, when I did my doctoral work, I found that uh, research, I found that the conservative faith community tends to tell their congregation what to think, not how to think. And they tell us that by like, this is the pastor stands up and says, this is what that text says. And here are the books that you're allowed to read about it. And, you know, that keeps it right in their own strain, never looking beyond. They call that received knower, right? Well, what strikes me is that, first of all, we can think. We do it in every other area of our lives. We certainly should not <laughs> leave, leave our brain at the door when we go into the sanctuary. But secondly, you know, we have our lives and beliefs collide, and we have to have a way in our mind to think well about our theology, about our faith, and how it intersects with the bang up things that happen in our lives. Like, okay, you can tell me that, you know, God is against homosexuality because my pastor says so. And here's all the six verses that pertain to that. And here's how they're translated. And then your son comes home and tells you he's gay. Well, now I need to know, is that really what the scripture, like, I need to know in a whole nother way. I got to do some work. Mm -hmm. Think, right. And I got to know how to think critically not just receive what some information has been given to me. My life and with my son depends on it. Which is okay, you got to end that story. You can't leave that open ended. <laughs> well, my son didn't come home gay. If that's what you're asking, no. I mean, the, the Bible. The Bible doesn't say it's bad, right? No. <laughs> so there you go. But I don't want to say no or yes. I want you to do the work. I'll give you the text. I'll give a different (laughs) theologians that make arguments. I'll let you think about it. I'll let you ask the spirit. Perfect. Which which is crazy that I'm looking at Amanda going, I like this about you. And I'm like, well, this is what you hated 20 years ago when we met. (laughs) 
about our church is that there was no defined right or wrong. And it was a conversation. And, you know, the idea of a stage was really kind of what we bucked against because we wanted that community. And so, you know, I know we were doing some things that were culturally different in our faith community, but nothing to what you've done and the epic proportions. And I know with the Marcella Project and the other teaching enablement, those are really hard to quantify, but can you tell us some of your favorite moments that you've seen with the changes over the time or different institutions or just people you've mentored? Yeah, let me let me like address perhaps mm-hmm. why it wasn't comfortable for Amanda in the beginning. Because what I have seen, having worked with women for 30 years, is that our beginning years of faith, we really do need things to be certain. We need to have a security, just like our children do, right, when they're being raised. But there is a stage of development that comes. It's usually like um, teenagehood or college where the questions get bigger. We start moving into critical thinking. And so some of that is just stage of life. When we're first starting, we're so afraid we're going to mess it up. Like, just give me the answer so I don't mess it up. I don't want to mess up my marriage. I don't want to mess up my kids. I don't want to mess up my career. So, like, give me a formula, right? But as we age, we recognize, oh, that formula doesn't work. So now I've got to think a different way. So that's partly why that happens. Um, yeah, some of my favorite moments. Oh, my gosh, I've done this for <laughs> so long. Like, I, I think of... Um, one of my favorite groups is a group of women out of Indiana, and they I was invited to come up and do a teach a preaching course for them. And they were scared, they told me later, scared to death to come to the 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 training. And because they were pretty sure I was a feminazi who hated men. And and they were at the time oh. very concerned. I know it's so true. I love men. I want right. us to do this together with our brothers, but people, you know, that's the assumption. If you're four women, you can't be four men. And um, wow, we need to do some work around that, right? Um, and so they came, and what they learned is that Jackie actually is all about the Blessed Alliance, about promoting and ennobling women and also men together, co-laboring. And they ended up kind of being becoming disciples of mine. Like they kind of went to all the summits that I did, some of the conferences I did, they read the books that I wrote, and 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 over those years of staying in touch and kind of just kind of helping them unlearn what they had learned and relearn some new things. And one of the women came to me and I said, I need you to know you need to go to seminary. She's like, I can't. I don't have an undergraduate degree because I grew up in a church where women didn't go to college. So I got married, didn't go to college. Oh, yeah. That teaching's still out there. I was with a group this month where that's the case. And women also when they get married, don't need to put their name on the mortgage because he's the provider and you should trust that he'll provide for you. Mm. That's still being taught in America in the 21st century. So I said, okay, I think I can help you with that. So I made a few phone calls to some pastor seminary um, professors that I know, and they got her in. She graduated and she's now a senior pastor of a church up in Indiana. And at the same time, Mm. another one of her friends that had also come also needed to get into seminary. She got into seminary. She's just become a pastor. And she's called me last week and said, I'm going to the national level of our our Christian, it's the Vineyard Church. And I'm going to start talking to them about this thing about women. And I'm just like, wow, eight years it took me, eight years of walking with women from feminazi to becoming pastors. And and that is like such a, it does. and, And the thing I want to point out is the work we do, it takes a long time. 
takes a long time to change someone's belief systems. And And does it wear you out waiting? No, because I know it takes a long time. Like, you know, this is like parenting, (laughs) right? Did it wear you out to parent sometimes, but yep, (laughs) give up, did you? (laughs) I think when you're really passionate about something and you recognize it takes, it's going to take time and there's, there's pastoring and grace and kindness that comes with being patient with people. It's, it's hard to have our theology challenged. It's, it's painful to let go. You pay prices with relationships if you shift your theology. So, you know, you don't want to pull people up. They have to go slow. They have to go slow. It's it's a lifelong relationship schism or yeah. maybe just a few years and you hope they come back, but it's, you do risk a lot. You do. That's right. And I think about how Jesus has worked in my life. You know, like I, you know, having come, come from an abusive background and he's just, he was slow and steady. It's not like he had to immediately get me all turned around. He would bring something up and we would chew on it and work on it for about six months and then quiet about things I needed to work on. And then a year later, another tiny little thing would be brought up, you know? And I've always thought of it as like his grace of just like not imploding me with everything all at once. And that seems to be the model of how we walk with people, you know? So yeah, that's like, I've, I've had the privilege to just add a couple more. Like I've, I've walked with couples who have been married, who have been told by their church, there's certain roles and she makes more money than he does. And that was fine until they got told it wasn't fine. And, and then it was starting to create problems in their marriage where they almost got divorced. And then they were referred to me and I started walking them through and maybe another way to look at the roles. And now they're very happy because he no longer has to feel ashamed that he's not leading the way she was told he was supposed to, and he didn't have it in him to do it. And she's not ashamed that she's providing and he's you know, not making the big bucks. And it, it just, what, you know, this is what's at play here. Another win for me was when I met with a woman who was the CFO of a multi-million dollar business. And she shared with me that her tiny church of like maybe 60 people couldn't let her take care of the budget because she was female. Let that (laughs) So, you know, like having to come around to her and let her know she's okay for her gifting. God is okay with her being as smart and capable as she is and shame on the church, you know, and, and I get uh, calls from women who are abused and their churches told them to submit to the abuse Mm. and they don't want to disobey God that, you know, they're in trauma. And the last thing they want to do is, is be unfaithful to their God. And so I'm able to kind of go, okay, let's look at what does God say about violence in the home? And what does, what, what are some, some ways you can get safe? And so, I mean, those are, I get to do that all the time, all the time. Do do you think this is more of a longstanding tradition that is passed down systematically, or we just keep having men that are subpar in roles where they're afraid of being found out that they're not as gifted as the others. Yes. And yes, (laughs) (laughs) that and many other layers. I mean, we're dealing with centuries and centuries of patriarchy, right? Like which most Americans don't really identify America as patriarchy or patriarchal. We can look at other cultures like uh, conservative areas of Afghanistan, um, Ethiopia, areas of Africa, 
and we can say, oh, there's high patriarchy, right? But we do have patriarchy in America. We know this Black Lives Matters 2020 brought this out of white male privilege. You know, um, we've had thousands of years of men uh, being educated and allowed to be in the roles of authority and leadership and teaching. And men pick what stories are told. And we know they tend to tell stories about men. And, and you know, it, it, people in power don't give up power very easily. It There's takes a, lot a strong, of, secure man to yes, it does. deal with these things you're talking about. That's exactly right. A very secure man, right? Yeah. And we need to do work. You know, we also do work in Marcella about masculinity, because again, if we're going to talk about what is it okay to be as a woman, we have to also say, what is it okay to be as a man? And we need to go back to scripture and have some references. And instead of King David, who, you know, killed Goliath, maybe we should look at like Joseph, Mary's husband, who gave up his life and his calling for hers. And who's hardly mentioned at all. And his wife is mentioned over and over and over again. And he submitted to her call of God on her life. You know, we need to go back and talk about what does it mean to be a man as much as we do? What does it mean to be a woman? Absolutely. Well, Jackie, one thing I was thinking about as we were preparing for the show, and I know that the Marcella Project comes from a place of, of your faith, and I certainly look through it through that lens. But for me personally, especially your podcasts and some of the, the things you've written, it sparked huge conversations Definitely with my two daughters as as young women, it's it's made incredible conversations, but also with friends and coworkers. And the conversations aren't necessarily religious. They're about politics, about sexuality, about aging, about mothering, about friendships. And so I do wonder, have you contemplated what your impact has been even outside the church by simply giving people a space to think and intellectually explore? And then you have that ripple effect far outside of Christianity. Well, that's a great question. Um, let me preface by saying I actually don't think much about the impact of my work because to me, it's just get in there and be with people and the impact is up to Jesus. Um, and and I do, see, he gives me enough to see that something is happening, which is encouraging. But um, so so I would say that, and maybe that's what makes me really a crappy leader. <laughs> It's because I'm not calculating impact, you know, but, um, but I do also like, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I think the topics that I'm talking about are relevant to all humans, right? Not just people who are Christians and Marcella, the Marcella project is actually an organization that operates outside of the local church. It's not something that's going on inside the church. I mean, we meet and have conversations about these things in wine bars and in people's homes and, and, and yes, offices and even the church, you know? And I will say, like, my theology doesn't make distinction between secular and sac sacred. I think everything is sacred, including um, people who are outside of the Christian faith. Um, I think they're image bearers. Um, they don't have to believe the same things I believe to be valuable and have dignity and to to want to know how to live through these kinds of things well. Um I think that the women who have been shaped by Marcella Project walk around and do exactly what you're doing and talking, having these small conversations. And that's probably the rippling effect that I will never, ever see and don't need to see, um, you know, talking to people. Um, you know, my ministry is based on Jesus. Um, I teach the Bible, but I'm not in love with the Bible. I'm in love with Jesus, who I will see one day face to face, not a book. 
I, I love to find Jesus in the Bible. I chase him around and try to see what he's doing and how he lives and how he loves. And I, I think regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus is good for humans. He shows us how to be appropriately human. Absolutely. And if we're doing the work of Jesus and being the hands and feet of him, we're doing exactly what you're talking about, regardless of anybody's religion. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I don't need him to be Christians to have these conversations. Awesome. I love that. So Jackie, the work that you do is really heavy. And just Jackie Reese, when she shows up on a regular day, I mean, you are a knower of people. You want to know their soul. We have a joke in our house that Brett can't sit at your table without shedding <laughs> tears just because you you ask deep questions. Um, We've got no so, time for light talk. <laughs> right. And that's just for fun. So now imagine, you know, you're talking to someone in an abuseful situation or they're in a church where things are not doing done right. It's heavy. So you pour a lot into people. You take on a lot of weight from them. What do you do to keep your emotional bank full? Yeah, I didn't used to do that well, keep my emotional bank full. And I've learned, uh, you know, when I was working at the church, I was getting my doctorate, had three kids I was raising. One was very troubled um, and my husband was going and blowing and my family, extended family was blowing up and I wasn't paying attention to what my body was telling me. And so I almost stroked out twice and had to go to the hospital and be shot down to like get me under control. And, you know, so I, I, that was a learning lesson. I, all that to say is I, I spent probably 15 years not doing it well. And now I think I do it a lot better because I'm really paying attention to my body. And I figured out that I grew up on land and I was outside all the time working and inside greenhouses working and that my body needs to be out in nature a lot in order for me to regulate my emotions, to, to think, to, to conversate with God or just be quiet or find joy in the simple things, you know, like the beauty of, of a tree turning colors or, and so I spend a lot of time in nature. I do a lot of hiking. Um, one of the things I love about living in Austin, I live right by the trail. And so I can walk that trail and I do it all the time. Um, and um, I, you know, I, I used to be a runner. I know Brett's a runner. I, I envy because, you know, once a runner, always a runner. <laughs> right, Brett? <laughs> So they say, and apparently it's keeping going. So it does, it does. <laughs> and so I used to run a lot. That was like a real relief for me. I, I have to tell you, one time I I was one of the first females on an all male staff at a church, and and I used to literally run five miles before I'd go into a staff meeting because I knew I was intense. And I'm a New Yorker, right? So like, and I'm down in the South, and women aren't supposed to be at the table, and I'm you know intense. And so it's like I had to burn off energy just to go into a staff meeting. How ridiculous is that? But um. Yeah, so I hike a lot. I walk a lot. I I spend a lot of time reading. Um, and when I say reading, I'm in conversation while I'm reading. I'm thinking a lot about uh, finding joy and goodness in God and all of those things. And to be honest, I spend a lot of time with my friends. And like, just like you guys, to be honest with you, hanging out with you guys is emotional therapy for me. Like it's because we get to have fun. We eat great food. We drink great wine. We have good conversation. Those things are very filling for me. So yeah, I think that's kind of what I get to do. Uh, I, I Can I tell about the concert that you invited me to, Amanda? Do we have time for that? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So for you listeners out there, you may not know, but my husband works in Africa and that means he's gone sometimes for extended periods of time. And I being like I am, I can stay inside and just read all the time and, and work all the time and go crazy. And so I told myself, now, Jackie, you are going to say yes to anybody's invite that they ask you to go do. <laughs> so I go to Amanda's house and I'm having dinner with Amanda and Brett. I said, yes. 
And, and she says, Hey, would you like to go to a concert? I don't like concert, but I was like, I heard the spirit say, and you said you would say yes. So I was like, yes, sure. (laughs) You know, I thought we're going to do this. And then she tells me we're going to go see it's, it's, uh, I'm not going to get his name right. Harry, Harry Styles, right? Harry Styles. Harry yeah. Styles. Yeah. And, um, so I, I, I leave you guys and I get on my phone with my kids and I go, okay, I just want you to know. I said, yes, I'm going to a concert. I'm going to see this guy named Harry Styles. Have you guys ever heard of him? And they're like, oh my God, mom, you so don't deserve to go. You don't even know who he is. So that was my story. Yeah. <laughs> you saved me. You got me out and did something unusual. I went to that concert and the whole time I kept saying to Jesus, what on God's green earth am I seeing here, God? What are these people? These people are worshiping. What is happening? He still hasn't told me, but it was, it was. The people watching. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It was and, incredible. And you and I were by far the oldest people there. Oh that my God. Was, yes. I wasn't expecting that. I'd been to one of his concerts and yeah, it was wild. And that man's good. I mean, I don't like concerts, but I liked him. I now know <laughs> well, who he I'm, is, everybody. <laughs> I'm glad you said yes. <laughs> I'm glad I said no. That way you have to go. <laughs> I took your ticket. That's right, Brett. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. So I know you said you don't like talking about your impact, um, <laughs> but you know that's what you do. So uh-huh. let's not talk about your impact. Okay. Let's talk about your ability to see forward in the future. Okay. So do you think, or when do you think there's going to be a space and time where we're going to have a non-existent need for gender-focused training for leaders? Do you foresee that shift and what does it take to get there? Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is where I want to be realistic and then also Mm -hmm. be hopeful. And the reality is, I think this war, and I would call it a war, that we see going on between male and female has been happening since Genesis chapter 3. So it's been going on for a very long time. Um, And I read a book by uh, this female historian. Uh, Her name is Gerda Lerner, and she's passed now, but I highly recommend her books if you're interested in this kind of stuff. But she wrote a book called The Creation of Patriarchy. And she, in that book, she traces... Uh, when did patriarchy come about in, in history? And if we can find that it came about in history, then we know it's not God-ordained. It's something that came about and can be dismantled in history. So that was her premise for the book. And what she found was that the first group to be subjugated in history are women. Um, she said before that, before during hunt, the hunting and gathering stage where you, where you weren't uh, settling on a piece of property permanently, we see a lot more egalitarian relationships in culture. And then when we see men and women start to settle in the land and own land and raise cat crops and have animals, what we now have is land that needs to be passed down. Now the woman's womb becomes important. Whose baby is this? We got to make sure it's the man's baby and particularly the man's son in order for the land to be given to the, to stay in the family, you see. So this, we can look at laws during that time, ancient Mesopotamia. There's three different types of culture law with three different cultures that we have their laws that she goes through and like dissects the laws. We start to see this constricting and controlling of women and suppression of women. Um, So this is a long time ago. We're talking a long time ago. I love what she says, and I'm going to try to get it right. It's a very bold statement, she says. Um, And I'm quoting her here. 
We know that mental constructs usually derive from some model in reality and consist of new ordering of past experience. That experience, which was available to men prior to the invention of slavery, was the subordination of women from their own group. So this is something that's been going on for a very long time. It's been going on a very long time in the United States. I mean, you know, our preamble to the Constitution says um, that all men are created equal. And I used to like, you know, put my hand over my chest in fourth grade and say that. And I nobody told me that when that was written, it didn't include me. It was men and actually only white men who owned property. I was not included in that, right? And um, in 19 in 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 18. 48, we have like the first wave of the feminist movement, which in my strain of Christianity, that word right there, feminist is the F word. Um, and when I look at that state, that, that, that time frame, what we have is women were asking for five things, five things. This is what makes you a feminist people, five things. You actually believe that women should have the right to vote. You think they should have the right to own property. You think they should have the right to divorce because during that time in history, only men could file for a divorce. Women had no right to file for a divorce. You think that women have the right to have custody of their children because at that time in history in America, women could not have custody of their children. Now that's totally switched, right? And the fifth thing that they were fighting for is that women who worked in, in factories or in shops should get their paycheck instead of it going to their husband. This is why I tell everybody in America, I'm pretty sure you're all feminist. Um, these are the right. fundamental things that we were fighting for in the United States. And, and it wasn't until 1990 that we even had a law on the book that said, hey, husbands, you can't beat the crap out of your wives. So we, you know, we've got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. Now we've made progress. We have made progress. Um, I'm a female ordained preacher. That's progress. Women can vote. Women are CFOs and CEOs. And, you know, we have women athletes and women teams in college. And we have women that go to school and we, women can own their own. We are making progress. Um, but don't be naive. This is a war that goes way, way back. And we've got to do some hard work uh, to reestablish the beautiful, what I call blessed alliance that God intended between men and women. And, and that's going to take a community that wants to live like Jesus. So yeah, we got a ways to go. Yeah. But we can vote, Amanda. <laughs> and so we're happy to have that right. <laughs> Your girls can go to college and drive a car. Yeah, keep their paycheck. <laughs> their paycheck. Yep. And get divorced and not be subject to having to be institutionalized. Right. Because right. that's how you did it. That's how you did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think people are aware that this was what was happening in the United States. This is not something that's back there in ancient you know, times. This stuff is happening in the United States. I mean, I was with a group in... Idaho, I'll be very careful that I name it. And I'm not kidding you. I sat with a 36-year-old woman who told me she did not put her name on her the mortgage of their home or their car because she had been taught women don't do that. Women don't go to college. Women don't, the husband is the provider. Do you know what that puts a woman in, in, uh, in what kind of position that puts a woman in? If her yeah. husband chose to beat her, she would have no agency or control because he controls the money. 
It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous teachings. No, I don't want my daughters to do that. No, no, we don't. Wow. All right, Jackie, you've told us about a lot of progress, but you've also reminded us we have a long ways to go. (laughs) So what's next for the Marcella Project? How are you going to combat this? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) and well, I've got some courses that I've developed for seminary and I'd like to start um, taking that more into Bible colleges and seminaries and maybe getting to women earlier. Um, And the beautiful thing is, I will say, you know, women were allowed to go to seminary starting in the 1970s in evangelical seminaries. Before that, they were banned. And they were limited in what they could study in those seminaries, and that has progressed. So we see movement there. Because of that, we are starting to now for their last, and maybe in the last five to 10 years, are starting to see women in academia, seminaries, and teaching, and writing, and thinking, and asking questions of the text that men weren't asking. And so there's actually a lot of groups out there that have started to pop up, much like mine, And but we're all kind of a little bit in silos. You know, we've, we're all creating this material. We're all trying to work on the belief systems. And what I would like to see in the next 10 years for Marcella is for those groups to collaborate. Because I think um, when you work as a collective, there's power in numbers. And I think that maybe we're lacking that kind of power and momentum because we're not working together. And I don't think we're not working together because we're being competitive or keeping our um, keeping our space, which has been the case from a lot of churches and organizations, but the people that I know that I'm touching base with now, that's not where they're at. They're ready to like, you know, link arms and, and, and get in the battle together. So yeah, I'd like to see that so that we could see some stronger mo- uh, momentum. Yeah. I love the idea of you catching women as they're entering into that education, because it seems like a lot of the anecdotal stories I've heard from you the women pastors encounter you after the injury has already taken place. And so maybe you can get to them early and maybe the injury still happens, but the way they react to it and the church reacts to it is different. Sure. I've had some. Oh, go ahead, Brett. Or my other experience is the women that make their way through that oppression abuse, they find an avenue for themselves in their late forties, early fifties, when they maybe not have as much to lose and it's Mm. a very very small percentage and you have to think about everyone else that had the same talents, the same gifts, the same value to the world that got suppressed, that didn't make it through, didn't find you. And that's, you know, that's gut wrenching. Yeah. It's gut wrenching because I think about what, what we as a society and as a faith community have lost, but even as a society, right? Because we've told women to be less and to hold back. Like what, what, society tells 50% of its population to to be less like what kind of innovations what kind of art what kind of you know business leadership what 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 has gone missing because we haven't propelled her forward by the way we should propel men forward too right this isn't mm-hmm. just him but like what's gone missing because we've asked her to be less to be quieter to be softer you know like all of those things so I think society has lacked some things that we are we could have had, and then definitely the body of Christ has. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're obviously inspiring us with what you're doing with Marcel Project and great friendship. So what or who is inspiring you today? Well, I think I mentioned some of those ministries, Posada, Victory Trading Company, um, Safe 
I think the work that SAFE does, my daughter also worked for them. So to watch on the inside of what it takes to walk alongside a woman who's been traumatized is just my friend, Jula, who um, has a ministry called Elevate Her, who works with women all over the globe. And then, of course, my husband's work, because um, I think he's the best champion of women in the world. And um, so he runs an organization called Water is Basic. And um, I was able to go over in September with him. I've gone over often to Africa, but I haven't been in the last two years before the pandemic. And so it was just beautiful to see his work of ennobling women there. Um, and it's changing the culture of those small villages by giving these women the skills to uh, repair w- water wells. They then, like the community is like, whoa, these women can do things. And it's changing the whole trajectory of the villages and how they relate to each other as men and women. And so that's just been very, very inspiring, very grassroots. And then I would say also like there's women theologians and historians out there that are doing some hard work who are getting hammered for what they're writing. You know, like um, Kristen Dumez wrote Jesus and John Wayne, and she has taken a bullet for that. And Beth Allison Barr, their intellectual body of work has challenged the status quo and it's cost them greatly, both personally and as a family. So I'm grateful for all of them. There's a lot of people doing great work out there for us. Thank you for the quick water is basic commercial. Jackie, you don't know this, but we actually have Steve scheduled to be on the show in January. And Madison, our youngest daughter, went to South Sudan with Brett and I and Steve back in April. And so we're super excited to interview him and tell everybody more about the water is basic story and that it's not just about water, that it's about empowering women. So thank you. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Proud to be married to him. What can we do or what can our community do to help support you, the Marcella Project, and just the movement in general? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I would say find those organizations out there that are having these conversations and that are pushing um, on the status quo. Engaging in the conversations is actually one of the grassroots levels of bringing change. I was at the UN status, UN Commission on the Status of Women for four years in a row. And that's where people from all over the globe come to talk about what's happening to women and girls and about 8,000 people. And and in those breakout sessions, the over and over again, it was like, we need to be having these kind of conversations that are small, but but are pushing, you know, the envelope and 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 bringing men and women together. So if there's any organizations out there that you see doing that, I say support them. And then also, you know, like, hey, we could could use you donating to our work. I don't think many people know this, but 83% of women ministry leaders are unpaid. 86% lack theological training of any kind. And what I, the women I work with, most of them do not get paid for what they do. They do not have a church budget or a family budget for them to get skilled in these areas to like learn to think different theologically, right? Which has um, practical ramifications in their life. And these women aren't going to give their money to this kind of work because, well, they got to take care of their kid and they're not going to take care of themselves first. So a lot of work I do, a lot of people I meet with, I do for free. They can't afford it. They wouldn't do it. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm giving you the best of the best. Here we go. I'm standing beside you. We're walking through this. And so I would say, you know, support my ministry, support other ministries like that. Um, there's plenty of them out there. So yeah, just get behind the people doing the work. We can do that. And we can also continue making sure we have great conversations. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I love being with you guys. It's an emotional release. <laughs>
Woo, Jackie sure gave us a lot to be excited about on how far we've come and all the great work she's done. But she also reminded us that there is a lot of work yet to be done. If you're a type of person that enjoys learning, unlearning, and challenging the way you think, I highly encourage you to check out her work. It just might reshape your view. You can find her at themarcellaproject.com and check out her podcast called Jackie Always Unplugged. <laughs>